Broadcasting from occupied territories, war the flea media, it's the Reality Dysfunction Podcast. A space where a diverse group of brown folk from across the nation explore the political experiences and social future of our Chicano Latino community. Control the narrative, resist the dysfunction. Greetings, dysfunctionals. Dr. Ernesto back today with Curly Tlapoyawa and Dr. Ruben Ariano to talk with them about their new podcast, Tales from Aslantis. For all of you out there who are reading and working to uncover and recover our indigenous past, these two brothers are doing solid work in uncovering the encroachments of Western thought on indigenous thought. This is good stuff. But before we get into it, let's have these two introduce themselves. Okay, well, my name is Ruben Ariano, known as Tlacatecat, and uh, uh, I'm a uh, professor of history. I teach history. And I've been doing that for about five to six years now, professionally. Received my PhD in history, master's. Uh, I went through the ethnic studies program. Uh, so I'm versed in ethnic studies, history of, you know, anthropology, uh, you name it. And I, But I've been studying, you know, um, things related to Chicano history, Mexican uh, history since I was a kid, since I was a teenager. You know, I used to go to the library and... and check out books, you know, interested in my background, my history, back when, you know, Chicanismo was in the 90s, you know, the mid to, to late 90s, or early to mid 90s, because it started fading in the late 90s, but it was still, you know, a cool thing to say that you were Chicano in, in many places, you know, to claim that, you know, not only Mexicano, Mexican-American, but also Chicano, and so that's that's how I got into Mexicayo, you know, um, in the late 90s, 99, 2000, and got into danza, I was a danzante for a while, we did ceremony, uh, you know, um, Mexica Sweat Lodges. I uh, went to Wirikuta a number of times with uh, Michael Puli here in Dallas. Um, done ceremony with Wicholes, with Raramuris, um, with Maya. I mean, you name it. Uh, Northern uh, uh, ceremonies as well with the NAC and Coahuiltecos recently in the last uh, four to five years. So I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've been in the tradición uh, one way or another for a good 20 something years at this point. And so that's, that's what I bring to, to the discussion in terms of uh, the podcast that we have going on, uh, the uh, Tales from Aslantis. Uh, my name is Curly Tlapoyawa. I am an archaeologist working in the state of New Mexico. I'm a uh, professor of Chicano studies at the prestigious Colegio Chicano del Pueblo, a free online learning institution. Uh, that specializes in Chicano studies. And I am one of the co-hosts of Tales from Astlantis. I, um, I got first introduced into, you know, the Danza Azteca around 1992 during one of the uh, 500 years of resistance events that was being held at the University of New Mexico. I saw a group of Danzantes performing and I was just really attracted to it, you know, the the drum, the the smell of the copal, just just seeing the the dance. I, I I knew that it was something that I really wanted to be a part of. So I started dancing here locally with one of the local calpulis. You know, from there I just went full on into uh, exploring um, as much about my culture as I could. You know, I'm a child of the Chicano movement, so I always grew up with a very strong political identity. 
I just grew, you know, grew up around that in Southern Colorado. It was, it was pretty contentious during the, the Chicano movement, a lot of violence, a lot of uh, police violence, car bombing, stuff like that. So that's just kind of like the environment that I grew up in. So I had this very strong political identity, but it's funny because my mom was always, um, kind of giving me hell, like, yeah, you know, all this about politics, but what do you know about this? You know, what do you know about your culture? What do you know about your history? And so she kind of really guided me along. You know, she gave me all of her old um, Chicano studies books from when she was in school, just really guided me uh, on that path. And eventually, you know, I moved to Mexico. I, I went to a lot of ceremonies. I was, a, I, I danced with the Mexicayo, with uh, Semanawak Tlamachtiloyan, Every weekend there in the Sokalo, I was there studying Nahuatl, uh, studying my family's history. And then when I came back, I moved to Texas, and that's where I met Ruben. And uh, we just kind of fell into the same group and uh, became really good friends. And a lot of the same stuff, you know, doing medicine meetings, uh, going to uh, different danza events. I used to host a, a Nahuatl study circle at my house. We would just get together all the time and, and trade ideas it was about that time, you know, I, I, I was like a hardcore student of Mexicayo, right? Like I wanted to be the hard, like the most down Azteca that I could be. And so I just read voraciously every piece of information that I could. And, you know, it was Ruben and I were always kind of the, um, I don't want to say the troublemakers, but, the you know, we were the ones out. that... What's that? The odd men out. Yeah. You know, we, we were the ones that were always questioning things. I think it was just in our nature to what well, we would hear something. We'd be like, ah, what'd you think about that? When that guy said this and we, but it would be by ourselves, right? We wouldn't say it out in front of everybody else because we didn't know how other people were going to respond to it. But we started hearing, you know, you'd hear some things in ceremony or from other people that, that were coming through Texas and, you know, spreading their teachings and, um, we would just kind of like shoot each other a look like, ah, did you hear that? And then we would regroup later and, and do our own research and look into it. Like, well, where's this stuff? Where's this stuff coming from? Yeah. For example, did you know that um, Citlali is our first home? That's where we yes. come from. We come from the stars. Citlali. Because you, you break down the word Citlali, it's Citlali, one Tlali, earth. So one land because we come from the Pleiades. And I remember we were in the same ceremony when somebody said that and everybody's sitting around the circle, there's a fire going, you know, and you could see everybody nodding their heads like, yeah, yeah. And Ruben and I just kind of like stare at each other from across the circle. <laughs> <laughs> like, did you just hear what? All right. Our trick music. Yeah. That kind of set off our whole, um, endeavor which has culminated in this podcast where we're finally just kind of putting it all out there i want to say at the risk i don't know about the cyst but at the risk of uh sounding like a, a total fanboy um really into the podcast looking forward to uh the other episodes uh tales from As Aslantis. and so like clearly i've been following your work for a while this is a this isn't the first time that you've been on the podcast on the reality dysfunction. And I, I really appreciate you coming back to talk about this. And Ruben, it's really nice to meet you. I've also been uh, following uh, the work that you're doing. And so, you know, I've just been listening to this podcast over the last couple of days. 
really just kind of blown away by the way that you guys are, are approaching it. I mean, it's very uh, factual. It's very matter of fact. I know before we started recording, you all had said something about how people are charging you with being sarcastic about your culture. Uh, I don't pick that up at all. I, it seems to me that there's really very little sarcasm. I think that that might be actually the problem with a lot of people. It's like you said at the end of your uh, first podcast, really, you know, the truth, it, it doesn't, it's like medicine. It doesn't always mm-hmm. taste good, but it's good for you. Where, I mean, I know where the information for this podcast comes from, but what was the sort of process that you all went through to, um, to arrive at this moment? Like, we need to do this. It's an idea that we'd been kicking around for a while. Right. And then finally we were just like, you know, we should do it. <laughs> like we, cause we had talked about it before and, um, I'm a big fan of this one podcast uh, that I listened to a lot that kind of inspired me to um, just finally sit down and write out a structure of like, okay, if we do it, this is how we should do it. And then we just, we just talked one day and set a date and a time. We're like, let's just try it. And uh, yeah, I started a podcast with a a colleague of mine when I was at El Paso a couple of years ago. And and it's, it's unfortunate the distance and, you know, you know, we're both kind of busy. He's a professor of history as well. And, and we just couldn't keep it up. And we talked about keeping it up and we just couldn't do it. So I, that's where I got my, my start. But before doing that podcast, I had been very um, uh, intimidated by the whole idea of, of doing a podcast. I didn't know the first thing about, you know, because to me, it seemed like doing a radio show, but it's online. And as opposed to a radio show where, you know, you tune in and you listen to it. And if you missed it, you know. Oh, well, with this, it's like anyone can access it at any time, as long as it's up on the internet, someone can download it and share it. And that, that, that can get a little intimidating if you're kind of old school like me and you're not really used to, you know, I mean, I didn't grow up, you know, wanting to be a, a radio host. So, you know, but I think this idea of sharing our knowledge is something that we've been talking about for a long time. And so we've done it over the years through various media. We started doing it. Uh, I, I mean, you could say that it really started back in the old Mexica Eagle Society discussion boards that we used to have mm-hmm. back in the, the early aughts into the early teens. And then after that, the, the, you know, you had other platforms. That's when, you know, Facebook came around and then Twitter. And so people started migrating to those spaces. And so we sort of migrated too. And then people started, you know, getting into the whole blog thing. And so we decided to give it a shot there. And so that's where the idea for the Mexica.org transitioning from the old Mexica Society type of website to a more blog focused website came into, you know, being. And so that's where we started to write and share our ideas, our thoughts, our ever evolving sort of notion of what it means to be a Mexica within Mexicayot and, you know, what does it mean to be indigenous in terms of the indigeneity of one's person, you know, and so that, you know, we've, we've written about this stuff over the years and we've kind of tossed around the idea of uh, doing a podcast once, you know, we were, we realized that people weren't really, I mean, you still have some traffic to to these websites reading, reading our old material, but it, it started to dwindle uh, some years ago when people started to, you know, focusing more on, on content that's more audio and visually related, you know, people don't really have time for whatever reason, you know, to sit down and read something and everyone's on their phone nowadays. So you, you know, people want, you know, media that they can consume on their phone. And so what's the best way to do that than through, you know, something that's, that's an audio 
uh, consumption. So this just made sense, you know? And so now what we're doing is we're sort of recycling some of the old things that we've written over the years and, and ideas that we've discussed and tossed around over the years. And, and we're translating that into this, into this podcast medium. As I've been listening over the, the last couple of days, I mean, you guys have been going over a whole bunch of stuff, even in these, these first couple of episodes. I mean, the, the range is, I, it's, I think it's, it's pretty astonishing. I guess my, my biggest question, I mean, as I'm listening to it, I have a, a, several questions that I really want to ask you guys, but I think just kind of starting it off, to me, what it seems like is that you have a project that's, that you've begun, and certainly not just in the podcast, but you know, like Ruben was talking about a second ago, over a period of years through like the websites and the different things, but that it's, it's really about confronting uh, Western encroachment, like thought encroachment, you know, and, and, and the way that like the initial uh, missionaries and religious people that came over, it's like a 500 year plus psyops, op, like this psychological operation where they're like totally subverting the ideas of the way that indigenous people at the time thought about the world, right? And so I guess part of my question is, why is it so important to, to confront that encroachment at this point? I mean, 500 years later, there's a whole bunch of things that, that have happened, you know, politically and culturally, right? I mean, the, the whole idea of decolonization is, is alive. I don't know if it's well, but it's alive, right? What, what difference does it make if Hunabku is something that our ancestors talked about? Well, as a... <laughs> that's, that's a loaded question. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I can say that as, first and foremost, just as, um, even just outside of like a, a cultural lens, just as a scientist, I want the best, most accurate information possible. Like I want to make my decisions based on solid information. I That's want Western well, thinking, Carly. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well-informed decisions. No, they don't. On, they, I don't think Western people they they don't get to capture that. That's uh. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, so you know, I I, I don't like to be um. I don't know what, what's what's a good word for it. Like just embedded in dogma. And just have this unchangeable position, right? Like, no, this is what I learned. And it could, because that's, that's what religious fundamentalists do. And I'm not a religious fundamentalist. So I want good information. And so my perspectives will change as you present better information to me, right? It's, and that's not the, the sole domain of, of white people, like being able to change your perspective based on good information. And, and it's funny because I get attacked like that uh, quite a bit, especially on Facebook, people will be like, well, you're, a, you know, as an archaeologist, you're, you're supporting the white man's science, or, you know, you're using books, our ancestors didn't use books. <laughs> and it's like, well, actually, they did, they, they burned most of them. That's the problem is we don't have the records, the um, book people. Yeah, the book people. And um, so for me, it's important, because the, the truth matters, you know, facts matter. When you can distort history, you can control how people think. You control how people view themselves and view their position in history. And if people are being fed disinformation, deliberate, deliberate disinformation, 
then they're being manipulated. And I don't like seeing my people be manipulated. And that's, that's where it comes from for me. You know, I, I, I feel a moral and ethical obligation to spread, you know, information, the best information that I can. And, you know, I make mistakes. So, you know, you don't have to agree or you don't just believe what I'm saying just because I'm, it's me saying it, you know, look, look into it. And, and here are the resources, you know, we provide citations and, and resources and, and we refer people to primary sources like here, you know, you don't have to agree with us because it's not just coming from us. You could look at the actual, you know, historical record, the archeological record and, um, and have the, the information to make uh, an educated uh, form an educated opinion about these things. So to me, it's, it's like an obligation, just carrying on from, you know, the legacy that my mom left me of caring about my culture, you know, 46 years later, I, I've got to maintain that, you know, I, I, I can't just sit quiet while nonsense gets spread. I've always been that way. That's just like my, uh, my nature. So I know what he likes me. <laughs> the no nonsense zone. Is that what is it? <laughs> That's what's happening right now. Cool story, bro. <laughs> I think I think for me, I mean, I, I agree with with most of what uh, Curly's saying there. I might have some disagreements here and there. I mean, we all do, and, and that's the point of like uh, one of the things that we bring to the podcast is that we don't necessarily agree on everything. I don't know if you've noticed. We don't make a big deal about it, but we do sort of bounce ideas back and forth. And for me, I think what's important here as well is this idea that people are being deceived into thinking that something is ancient when it really is not, right? And going back to this idea of wanting to get to the facts and wanting to know, you know, the truth and scare quotes, right? Um, as, as, a, as a professor of history, when I tell my students that in history, we're not trying to prove anything. We know what the facts are. Use the facts, use those sources to interpret that history and to say something substantive about it. Why is it important? Why does that specific story matter to us today in the present? Just because something happened in the past doesn't make it history. It's the way that we approach it, the way that we interpret it, that makes it history because it, it's something that is important to us. And so I feel that it's important for us as people who subscribe to this idea of indigeneity as Chicanos, Mexicanos, that subscribe to Mexicayot or the Red Road or the Tradicion, whatever moniker you want to give it, that we are truthful and honest to the new people that are coming on board so that they don't get deceived into thinking that this is an unbroken tradition that dates back to the pre-invasion of the Spanish. But so there's truth to the notion that traditions um, you know, have evolved since then. It doesn't mean that they, that they remain the same, right? Because uh, anything that stays static is going to stagnate and it's going to die. That's just a truism of life itself. And so to suggest and to try to imply and to try to convince people that this thing that they're doing, that they're being taught, that they're being inculcated in is some unbroken, untainted tradition that dates back to 500 years. Uh, I think that's the service to the people and they should, and, and you should be honest enough and, and you should be, be able you should be able to to be honest with yourself as well as a person that's uh, making these uh, uh, pr pronouncements to say to those people that look we understand that our tradition when the Spanish came it did they did a lot of harm to our culture to our people 
to our society, to our ways of life, to our spirituality. And we've tried to recover that over the years. And this is the best that we have been, been able to do. But to sit there and also say, some ancient ancestor told such and such. It's like, well, do you really know that? How, yeah. how accurate is that information? And, and why does that make it any more meaningful or impactful or powerful? Yeah. You know, I mean, we, our history is, is legitimate. It's fascinating and meaningful enough without, you know, adding all of this extra stuff to it and making it more fanciful and more, you know, deep, you know, oh man, you don't understand the way I see things. I have a very deep understanding of the world because this elder taught me this and he didn't get it from a book. It's like, are you sure? Because I've got a book that says that exact same thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just funny because people, they got this idea that it's not meaningful unless you somehow ascribe some sort of magical thinking to it or yeah. antiquity to it or antiquity to it. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the reasons that those people uh, who are uh, saying that we're sarcastic or, what, or whatever, maybe they're just picking up on the fact that Ruben and I have known each other for over 20 something years. And when we get together and we talk about things, we just we're friends, you know, we talk to each other the way friends talk to each other. We're, yeah. And, and that might come across as being, um, unprofessional unprofessional or, or whatever but hey you know i mean I'm it's sure. a freaking podcast and yeah i'm sure people you know it's like if you want serious stuff read my read, read my work which i doubt you will do because it's too long and you don't want to you know spend five minutes reading stuff so you know please get over yourselves I mean, yeah, if they, it's a podcast if they want to read if they want serious stuff then they can buy my book <laughs> <laughs> buy my book and exactly. so i think <laughs> i mean it's the same kind of argument that i've yeah. heard from people on twitter because on twitter i'm, I'm you know uh, i'm i've always been uh not necessarily a, a clown but i, I, I yeah. like to poke fun at stuff and sure. and and I, and people can perceive that a wrong the, the wrong way and so uh, it's like i tell people this is twitter what do you expect from me i mean you want me to publish my dissertation on twitter come on please yeah, yeah. And anybody who's known either of us for any extended period of time just knows our personalities right and i i tell people like hey i, I hate to break it to you but if you're looking for like the deep spiritual elder teacher guru type that I'm not, I'm not that guy, yeah. you know, I'm just myself. I'm not going to play a character. I grew up the way I grew up. I have my opinions and the way I talk to people. And it just so happens that Ruben and I, you know, click really well, even when we disagree with each other, it's like, it never comes to like, uh, you know, like an argument or anything. We were able to, to talk to each other and have disagreements but we're still friends. And I think, I think that's the, the biggest lesson of all Yeah, is you could disagree with people and, and not, uh, not come over the head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, not and still make each other on. laugh and still have fun and still enjoy each other's company. Yeah. And not call them vendidos just because you disagree with them. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sorry about that, by the way. I was pretty riled up. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, really enjoyed the example that you guys that you put out about the young Nawa men uh, who were uh, creating new Dia de los Muertos uh, traditions and dances. Um, yeah, in, in the Huasteca. Yeah, I think that. See that that's the thing is, I mean, 
for full transparency, I'm not a historian, but what I am, uh, I think more than anything is sort of a, a culture person, right? And really thinking about, you know, how culture is dynamic, right? How things, how things are always changing. It's really interesting, you know, to think about those, those young men creating those new traditions, right? And how everybody, you know, may be so shocked and so mad at them, you know, right now, but 50 or 60 years from now, you know, the, the, the full weight of whatever just kind of sets in and then it becomes the way that we've always done it, you know, yeah. and to, to think about, you know, how that works. And, and I think for myself, you know, I think about how much energy is wasted in the Chicano movement, politically, culturally, emotionally, or whatever, by people saying, oh, that's, that's not the way we do it, or, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're wrong, or, you know, just, and it's just like, it boggles me sometimes. Yeah, you gotta, it's, you it's gotta do it the Chicano way. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but which Chicano way? The Texas Chicano way? The yeah. Michigan well, Chicano well, way? Well, that's that's the only true way, right? The Texas Chicano way. <laughs> oh, <No>, yeah. <laughs> I have heard people say that, yes. <laughs> well, so, um, and, and that's one of the, the things that people get hung up on is this, uh, this desire for antiquity without realizing that tradition, this dance in particular, it's very ephemeral and all it takes is one person turns left once instead of right. And then they teach it that way. Yep. Or, or, well, now you turn left and then now it's, di- now it's changed forever. Yeah. It but it's not any less significant. One person to take the Poposhkomet, put it in the center of the dance arena and put their foot over it and call it the fire dance or something. Yeah. That, that's technically what happened with that danza. You know, it wasn't yeah. a concerto tradition at all. It was invented by none other than who was it that would be uh was that florencio yeah that was florencio Florencio. that was his invention and now you see it it's a standard uh dance trope that you see most dancantes do in public uh, appearances it's like i've done it they they get up there and you know they put put the, the the instance burner and then they do this little dance and you know sing a little song and make a little noise (laughs) <laughs> down tonight <laughs> that's funny <laughs> i guess part of my my question is is as i was listening to it like i i was um i was taking in everything that you guys were saying the way that uh you're exposing a lot of these ideas or these concepts the whole discussion around ometeot i mean mm-hmm. blew me away man seriously blew me away because i was just like huh because i would have never known any of that right and so it's uh because i mean I, I probably also wouldn't have taken the time to try to uncover it you know so i'm here i'm listening you had a moment uh where you were talking about uh, traditions and um you know how you know all tradition is you know uh created right which is you mm-hmm. know obviously true i guess my question is with with this particular podcast knowing uh, a little bit about both of you is what, what's the political goal of this, of this podcast? World domination. No. Um, <laughs> the same thing we do every night. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we do every day. Uh, you know what? It's just to uh, uplift people, people's standards really for it. Because look, if you're willing to accept, uh, erroneous information 
uncritically, if you're willing to accept things uncritically, whether it's culturally or politically or whatever, right? Sacrosanct. Yeah. You can't question these things. So if we're, I'm just trying to get people to, to open up and, and think more critically, look more critically at things. And that, that just spills over because to have a Chicano identity, that's inherently political, right? That's inherently a political statement to say that you're a Chicano. Yeah. And if you're going to accept things uncritically, well, that's, that's, uh, that's not any, that's not good for anybody. So hopefully by presenting like, look, Hey, we're involved in this tradition. We are, you know, reasonably educated people and we've come to these conclusions and we like, you know, question, question things. And that's just going to spill over, you know, as a political goal. I don't know if we have any specific political goal, but I, I would say that my personal goal is just to produce better informed Chicanos who are able to look at things critically and skeptically and, right. and have, a, a, you know, the, uh, the ability to deconstruct things, uh, whether it's in the political realm, the cultural realm, spiritual, you know, whatever they want to do, just to be able to come at it from this perspective, like, well, I don't have to believe this just because an elder says it, you yeah. know, because like I'm often reminded, you know, dumb people get old too, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, but, but Curly, these are indigenous elders. Yeah, right. <laughs> Doesn't that make a difference? Yeah, I mean, that cracks me up because people think like, well, just this, this guy's a, a native speaker. So therefore, everything he says about you know, the culture is 100% accurate. It's like, well, I'm a native English speaker. You know, it doesn't give me any sort of special insight yeah. into the English speaking world. Or Tell me you about know, the queen, Curly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> But my question to you, Ernesto, is does it have to be political? I mean, why is there a need for um, our approach to wanting people to at least know the origin of the things that they subscribe to why does that have to have a political angle to it and what is like what is your interpretation of, of what we're doing uh well for the first part of the question i would say that everything that we do is inescapably political particularly as the descendants of uh conquered colonized um, indigenous people i don't think that we really have or can undertake actions that don't have some sort of a political consequence or ramification. You know, But does that inherently make the thing that's being, or the act that's being done, just because there's a political consequence to that, does it make it inherently a political act? I, yeah, before I would, the consequence was applied to it. I, I would say that everything that we do is, it has a, a political context. Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm, okay. I mean, that's, that's what I would argue. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I would answer that question. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that it is uh, a particularly, I mean, if you, if, if you're uh, involved in a project and use the words culture, then you are, you're committing a political act because remember all culture is made up. I mean, you guys said that in, in mm -hmm. the podcast, right? I mean, if we're talking about breathing or we're talking about taking a crap, But even taking a crap, man, depends on which hand you wipe your butt with. You know That's what I'm political. saying? It is. Because if you try to shake hands with the wrong hand, 
in certain places, you got Lávate las manos, cabrón. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I think that's one of the things that, that has really struck me about this. And, and the reason that, that I asked the question is, well, yeah, because I mean, I, I, you know, to me, when I listen to this, what, what I hear you guys uh, really doing is one, pushing people to think and pushing them to, to question and, and to be skeptical. All of, all of these things that, that were just said. My question, you know, and, and what I'm thinking is, and I asked this question myself, what's, what's the end goal of this, mm-hmm. right? Like what, if we, if we're taking this information out to the community, okay. And we're saying, okay, look, these things right here, this here's, here's five more ways that they fucking tricked us. You right? want, me to, mm-hmm. want me to answer that? Uh, sure. The, the end goal <laughs> is to storm the Teocalis. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, well, for me personally, the end goal is, uh, Ruben and I have talked about this a lot about this possible, is there a way to reform this Mm. movement? Right. And I'm not going to, you know, be so bold as to say like, yes, we are going to single-handedly reform this movement. But I think starting the conversation is important. And I, I've had a lot of feedback on this, uh, the podcast and i bet you have before you get into it does that also make us uh restorationists of a sort if we're trying to reform mexicano are we the latest iteration Mm -hmm. of all those restorationists i mean that's something to think about too yeah we're the uh the latest iteration of movimiento confederado (laughs) escepticista plus or escepticista (laughs) i will come chicanadas yeah i mean yeah we could be but you know who knows who knows what's going to happen but you know not everyone not everyone that that's a mexica or follows mexica in the u.s is a chicano or or identifies as a chicano yeah Yeah. right so a lot of people in in my calpula here in dallas uh, a lot of those folks even if they're native born ethnic mexicans they don't necessarily subscribe to a chicano identity yeah. Right. These are people who are maybe half my age or you know our age, whatever, and and they weren't brought up with this idea of thinking of themselves as Chicanos, and so that's not even part of the equation for them. For them, it's this is a tradition that is, you know, traces its roots to Mexico, to to indigenous people of what we consider Mesoamerica, and that has links to the the north through you know the legend of the now we meet and the four arrows that were shot in the four different directions and that's how you bring in the sundance and that's how you can you know pick and choose from various indigenous traditions and to come up and create this new pan-indigenous spiritual approach to your own indigenous identity right and so it's even more complicated than just you know applying this to chicanos because we have people from central america south america I mean, at one point we had people in our group that were from, um, I want to say from South America, Guarani. Uh, I've met people who are part of the Mexicaya tradition in, in the broader general sense, who are Puerto Rican from the island, not from like a New Rican or from the state, right? But from, from like the island itself that, that identify as Boricuas and they have their own, you know, indigenous tradition, but they sort of latch on to Mexicano because of the people that they know or what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's more than just, you know, a politically charged uh, 
identitarian spiritual movement of Chicanos. It's, it's, it's grown beyond that. It's way, I mean, you have danza groups in South America, you have danza groups in Europe, in Spain, mm-hmm. in Germany, and they're springing up all over the place. I mean, the latest one that I hear of, I think, is um, there's a um, Mexicayo red road tradition in Japan. Right. So this is Mexicayo. That makes total sense, though. Mexicayo is going global. I mean, it started with the lowriders back in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, of course, there's a of course there's a dancer group in Japan. Yeah. Well, you, you've, you've all seen that video of the, the Japanese cholos, right? Yeah. And they all have that. They all love that Chicano identity. I was telling but that goes, that. I mean, people think that that's a new thing. That go, I mean, yeah, I remember that goes the back. lowrider magazine. They were yeah. publishing pictures of those guys back in the late 80s. Yeah. And I told Lalo Alcaraz, I was like, bro. Pretty soon, Japan's going to be the only safe place for Chicanos to go. Because <laughs> <laughs> the I, Latinxers are coming for us. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I, I mean, obviously, all that is true. I, I don't think that it. Uh, I don't think it diminishes the political um, dimension of it at all. Um, actually, I think that it. it um, it, it actually broadens the political dimension of it. But uh, yeah, I, I think that those are, those are good points, man. I mean, I think not, actually those are great points. I would say that it's not explicitly political what we're doing, but it, I guess you can apply political, um, uh, you know, you can, you can attach it politically to different agendas if you wanted to. Right? Sure. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I've been encouraged by the response from, like old school veterano Chicanos to like young Cholos and everything in between writing yeah. me letters, just uh, uh, emails, writing me letters, sitting down with a pen and, <laughs> and a quill, um, you know, uh, sending me messages on Facebook and, and emails and stuff, just uh, thanking us for, for putting this information out. Yeah. And just saying, man, this is so cool that you're saying this. Um, the older cats are like, I wish something like this existed when I was young. So I could hear alternative perspectives. I get some older cats who've written to me and they're like, bro, these are things that I've been questioning for a long time, but I've never wanted to bring up because of possible repercussions, yeah, right? Like My friendships. Religion, and, right? Yeah, it's I like mean, a religion. It's like that. the, what's that project called uh, where the priests are leaving, you know, they become atheists and, they, mm-hmm. and, and they're trying to find a, an escape from, from their church. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, it almost sounds like that, you know, it's like you, you, you've done something for so long for 20, 30 years yeah. and you begin to question it at some point. And then, you know, you've invested so much time and effort and resources and it becomes for some people, this is their livelihood. This is what they, this is literally yeah. what they do to earn a living. They, go around and you know do you know ceremonies or 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 limpias or what have you right and that's all they do and they're not you know getting rich off of it but that's what that's a source of income for them right yeah and i understand it if if you know if someone comes in and, and tries to challenge what they do because you know it's like any other religion once you begin to challenge people's core beliefs uh it's like you're challenging their identity yeah, right? mm-hmm. that's who they are. That's who they identify as. And for us as Chicano, Mexicanos, Mexicos to be questioning, you know, Mexicano, even though, you know, we've both, you know, spent 20 something years, you know, practicing it and, and engaging it to the fullest extent of our abilities. You know, that's, you know, even even, you know, 
for us to do that, it's it's like, how dare you? You know, you're 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 criticizing our culture, you're criticizing people who identify as indigenous, and it's opening the door for others to come in that already don't like us and to have some, you know, you're giving other people ammunition to come against. Like, no, it's like we're actually I think it's in the reverse. I think we're empowering people to know the truth so that when someone does come at them with facts, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they can at least be aware of them and they're not like blindsided by something that they've never heard of before. Exactly. And we yes. see that a lot with, um, cause we, you know, in the Chicano community, we have a tendency to lionize our heroes, right? So you're not allowed to question, um, people and it's the same thing with the Mexicayot stuff. <clears throat> and for me, it's, we're equipping people, right? Like Ruben just said, we're, we're equipping them with better information so that when, you know, cause that, that enables us to own it. Right. We're the ones making the critique. We're the ones making the analysis. And so when our adversaries, people who are adversarial towards us, try to attack us, like Ruben said, it's not, they're not, they're not getting hit out of nowhere. They, they're already equipped with this information and they could say, well, oh, hold on, you know, you need to understand the context of what's going on. And they could defend the, their position better having this information as opposed to, you know, well, we're, we're not allowed to ever question this. And, um, you know, so you just go along thinking, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I, I learned this from an elder and I have all this authentic information. And then when they do get blindsided by somebody saying, you know, yeah, but what about the MCRCA? Yeah. But what about this? What about this guy? And, and they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's like I tell my students uh, early on, especially my, the students that take the first part of, of U.S. history. Uh, and, you know, we begin talking about indigenous people, the pre-invasion period, you know, the different societies that existed in North and Central and South America. And then once we get into the initial encounter, I tell students, how do you think that the Europeans were able to come to the Americas and initiate everything that came thereafter? And then you get the usual, you know, oh, Columbus this, oh, you know, they had ships, uh, they have better equipment to, you know, better tools, better weapons, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, okay, perhaps. But what if we look at it in terms of our own current moment? What is our own current moment? We're in the information age. What benefited Europeans and the the way that they were able to arrive here first, as opposed to Americans arriving in Europe you know, in the reverse, right? The reverse scenario is that they had better information. They had better information that they had acquired from, you know, peoples in Africa, people in the Middle East, people in, 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 the, in the Far East and, in, you know, places in Asia. And so they were, when, when Europeans finally arrived at a moment where they were able to traverse the globe on a, on a, on a ship, they had better information in general, as opposed to our ancestors who had been isolated in, in, in these continents, you know, and they only had a certain amount of information. They were getting to that place. They were approximating, you know, the old world, if, you know, to put it in those terms, but they were behind in information, technology, etc. right? So it wasn't so yeah. much that the Europeans were better at anything than our ancestors. They just happened to benefit from having more information at a specific moment in time. Yeah. And so if we don't have today the descendants of those people that suffered because of that lack of information, if we're going to continue that process of being uninformed or misinformed, then we're going to be just as bad as they were. 
and and they and it happened to them because they didn't know and if it happens to us whatever happens to us because it's going to be because we we are willfully misinformed and and uninformed because we don't want to you know you know venture out and 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 seek other alternative uh, uh versions to the things that we already consider to be gospel right yeah it's yeah. part of the same the, the same mentality that you have to question you know, this, I, I got this from one of the elders who responded to me personally about the podcast. Yeah, you have to question everything. And this is coming from someone who's also, you know, been in the tradition for 40, 50 years. And, and he agrees to that. Yeah. That, that he might not agree with everything that we are saying, or maybe he, he doesn't um, um, know a lot of the stuff that we're, you know, uncovering. Uh, but he agrees that we should question it at least. Yeah. I know when I left church, I decided I was never going to go back. It didn't matter what it looked like. And so, I mean, I've, I've stuck with that and I, I, I feel what you guys are doing. Like one, uh, like all the way down, I feel it. I've, I've seen these conversations happen. I've seen the finger pointing, you know, the, the denunciation that comes along with it. Uh, you know, the, the whole like spiritual thing. I mean, you know, where like people are like, I just know, cause mm-hmm. like the spirit tells me and like, this, you know, old guy told me or, and I'm just like, I'm like, wow. Like I, I can't, I can't roll with that. Not for one second. So, mm. I mean, I, f- I feel what, uh, yeah, I, I feel what you guys are doing. We're, we're almost out of time. You know, I just want to give you both one last opportunity to, you know, uh, say whatever it is that you want to about your, about your podcast, where people can catch it at, you know, anything like that. Um, and I really appreciate both of you taking your time to come talk to me. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, um, absolutely. You could catch it on any of the major podcatchers. I think it's a you know iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that stuff. Um, I'm a little behind, but I've been trying to put them up on YouTube as well. Um, some people like to listen. I've it's funny. I've I've actually had quite a few people message me and ask me like, "How do you listen to a podcast?" <laughs> so. You got to educate people on how to interact with the, with the technology too. Well, just so you all know out there, if you have an Alexa in your house, you can tell Alexa to play Tales from Aslantis. And recognizes um, it? Uh, I haven't tried that yours yet. I know it does mine, <laughs> but mine is also on, on, on uh, iTunes. So I think if it does mine, it should probably do yours too. Sometimes so it takes Alexis a couple of times, but. So you're putting right. out misinformation there, brother. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, right. We, we've got some 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 cool um, um, episodes um, that are coming up. Uh, there's one that's going to drop next week. Uh, we're not going to tell you what it is. You're just going to have to uh, wait and find out. And we've got a lot more material. Uh, it's not just going to deal with necessarily, um, you know, spirituality is going to also delve into things that 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 are historical and we're also going to bring it to you know more contemporary subjects that relate to chicanismo in general and and other adjacent topics so just uh, yeah i like that word adjacent adjacent. topics there you go so it it allows us to explore outside of you know strictly mexicayo because the the cool thing about the Mexicayot stuff is the further you dig into it, you, you figure out that these guys really had an influence on just about every single aspect of, of Chicano identity. Yeah. You could find some connection 
you back in time to these to these original founders of the Mexicayot, whether you want to admit it or not, you know, whether you know it or not, because I didn't know this stuff for the longest time. And, uh, you know, when, when you start learning it, you know, I always say, I, I don't want to compare myself to Malcolm X, but I, I can imagine how he felt when he realized that the nation of Islam was like a bunch of horse shit and just this feeling of, of betrayal and dejection and like, Oh man, what have I been doing? And, but then, you know, that's enabled me to kind of watch from the sidelines for a little bit and say, okay, well, this is actually good. You know, this stuff, this stuff is good. This stuff, not so good. And I'm, I'm able to, to have a more discerning eye, you know, and I think that's, if we could equip people to even do that much, just to look at it and be like, well, this, that seems shaky, but this has value. So what can we do with this? And, you know, and, and how can, how can we convince other people to get rid of this other stuff that has no value and then focus more on, on legitimate, I don't even like using that word, but more stuff that has value, stuff that mm -hmm. benefits our sense of who we are, and our culture, because I still go to ceremony, you know, I still do danza. I enjoy it. Um, I still go to ceremony. I enjoy it, but I don't do it for the same reasons maybe right, right. that I was doing it before. Do it for and, the fellowship and the camaraderie and. You know. Yeah. And just like even the cult, there is cultural continuity, you mm -hmm. know, there it's not as old as people might think, but I like being part of that, yeah. you know, because if you look at it, hey, powwow isn't that old. Right. No. Native American church isn't that old. And they'll admit it. So, you know, they're yeah. not going to go around saying powwow has been around for millennia. I'm like, no. Yeah. Yeah. And so, the, you know, for us to look at danza and be like, yeah, this isn't as old as we thought it was, but it's still it, it has a tradition. It has protocols. It has a history. It has things that that matter. And, and those it's things enjoyable. are legit. Yeah. And it's enjoyable. And uh, it's part of who we are and we don't need to, uh, you know, add, add uh, false history to it, to make it better. Yeah. To make it seem legitimate. Yeah. So follow us on Twitter at Aslantis Tales. And uh, do you have um, Instagram for this currently? I know you, you do uh, Instagrams. I don't. I, I mainly... I mean, I have an okay Instagram following, so I've just been using my my Your personal, personal? one okay. to promote. So just Curly Tlapoyawa, Instagram and Twitter. And my Chimali. personal Twitter is at Tlacatecat. And uh, Chimali.org is the website. Maybe you should spell Tlacatecat. Yeah. yeah. I think <laughs> a lot so. of people don't know how to spell, how do you spell that. <laughs> T-L-A-K-A-T-E-K-A-T-L. Tlacatecat. Right. All right, guys. Thanks. I appreciate yeah. it. I'm looking forward to the next time. This is the reality dysfunction.